If you'll open your Bibles tonight to the book of Judges, chapter number 6, that's a book in the Old Testament, and then the Gospel of John in chapter number 14, I want us to begin tonight by looking at an Old Testament passage and at a New Testament passage. And while you're finding that, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be somebody else for a day? You ever think like that? Sometimes I wonder, like, what would it be like for 24 hours to be the President of the United States? I mean, that would be something. You walk in a room, everybody stands up, they sing you a song, Hail to the Chief, and that would be an exciting day. Or sometimes I wonder, what would it be like to be a great athlete like LeBron James for a day? To be able to go on a basketball court and do what he can do uh, on the court with a basketball, that would, for me anyway, that would be a very, very fun day. Or sometimes I'll see an entertainer, a celebrity, and I'll think, I wonder what it'd be like to be that person for one day. If I could get in their mind, if I could just become that person for one day, here are people who seem to be so happy and successful and glamorous. And yet I would imagine that if we could get in some of their minds and in some of their lives, we would be surprised. And we would say, wow, this person's not as happy as I thought they were. Being them for a day wasn't as great as I thought it might be. Let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be God for a day? To be God. To be seated on that throne in heaven, to look down over everything that you have made, to have all power in your hand. I think if I could be God for a day, one of the things that I would think about would be this. I would think, man, I have all the power in the world. I can cause the wind to blow. I can make the wind stop. I can cause the rain to fall. I can make the rain stop. I can create things. I can do whatever I want to do. I have unlimited power. Another thing I think I would think, if I were God for a day, I would think, man, from my perspective up here, I have such a clear perspective on life. I have a clear perspective on what people are going through, why I've allowed them to go through it, what will be the end of it, the outcome of it all. And I think I would think, wow, what a wonderful perspective. And if I could be God for a day, one of the things that I would think, I mean, if I could inhabit God, inhabit His mind, and be God for one day, I would think, wow, I have such peace. I am at perfect peace. I'm totally relaxed. I'm totally calm, I'm totally in control, and I am at a place of utter and complete peace. Now, what I want to say at the beginning of this message today is this. First of all, we can't be God for a day, so we can only play that out. It can't really happen. But even if we could, when that day ended, we would lose the power that we had had for that day. No matter how close we try to get to God, we'll never have God's power. God, can, God created the world. God made planets. God made everything. We don't have creative power. We can't raise people from the dead. And so we will never have the fullness of God's power. If we could be God for the day, once that day ended, the perspective that we had on suffering and on circumstances and on situations in life, we would no longer have that perspective anymore because we would be back down here on the earth. And as my dad has said many times in his illustration, life is very much like a parade. God watches it from the 10th floor. We watch it from the curb. From God's perspective, everything is clear. From our perspective, we don't understand what's going on. So even if we could be God for a day, when the day was over with, we would not have all the power that God has. We would not have the clear perspective on things that God has. But I'll tell you what we could have. We could still experience the same 
peace that God has in his mind and in his heart. When, when, when our day of being God was over with and we came back and we became ourselves again, we wouldn't have that power, we wouldn't have that perspective, but we could still have the same peace that God has. Now, that's kind of the foundational truth that I'm laying out at the beginning of this message tonight. And I, I'm going to show you a verse, but I want you to get this in your mind tonight. God, at this very moment, is at perfect peace. He's at perfect peace with himself, and he's at perfect peace with everything else that's going on in the world. God is not anxious. God is not uptight. God is not troubled. God is not worried. God is not confused. God is not any of those things. Right now, God is at perfect peace. And what I'm saying to you is, and what God's Word is saying to us is, it is possible for us to live our lives with the same peace that God himself has. Now, in John chapter 14, look with me beginning in verse 27. Because Jesus is talking to his disciples about peace. And I want you to notice what he says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to understand something. I'm getting ready to be crucified. Three days later, I'm coming back to life. And not long after that, I'm going back to heaven to be with my Father. But I want you to understand, I'm going to be leaving you with a gift. And that gift is peace. But it's not just peace. It's my peace. It's the peace that I myself have. Now, put yourself in the shoes of Peter, Andrew, James, or John, one of those disciples, and they've, they've been with Jesus for three years, and they have seen Jesus at perfect peace in every single situation he's ever been in. When they were out there on that Sea of Galilee and they got in that bad storm, they thought they were drowning. Where was Jesus? He was asleep on the boat at perfect peace. And so when Jesus said to his disciples, fellas, I'm going to give you something that the world can't give you and something that the world can't take away, I'm going to give you my peace. What he was saying was, it's going to be possible for you to experience in your mind and in your heart the exact same peace that I have. It's possible for you to be as peaceful as I am because I'm giving you that. When he contrasted this peace to the world's peace, the world's peace is built upon circumstances, what's going on in our lives. When everything's fine, we're pretty peaceful. When things get turned upside down, many times we lose our peace. Jesus said, my peace is not like that. The peace I'm giving you has nothing to do with circumstance. It is a gift, and you can experience it to the same degree that I do. Now, Having said that, back in Judges chapter 6, we read a very interesting story about a man named Gideon. Now, we're in the Old Testament, but peace was something those Old Testament characters wanted too. Everybody wants peace. And in Judges chapter 6, one day, we're going to read this story, how the angel of the Lord came to Gideon at a time in his life when he was afraid, when he was worried, when he was anxious, when he had no peace, he was very fearful. And this story ends with Gideon building an altar to God, and he called this altar Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. So I'm just giving you the overview before we read the verses. At the beginning of this, no peace. God appears to him, perfect peace, and he built an altar because of that. Now, beginning in verse 11, this will be a longer reading than I would normally do, but I want us to read through verse number 24. And the angel of the Lord, and by the way, this is a, uh, 
The pre-incarnate Christ, he is revealing himself uh, in, in this way. And that's why in many of our Bibles, angel is capitalized. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, at this time, he was not a mighty man of valor, but God was calling him not what he was, but what he could become. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has this happened to us? Isn't that what we ask? God, if you're with me, why is this going on in my life? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? In other words, when, when the bottom falls out of life, many times we say the same thing. God, where are you? Why have you allowed this and where are you, God? Why have you abandoned me in this time? Those were Gideon's questions. But now, he says, the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And so at this time, the Midianites were oppressing the people of God, the Jewish people. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. In other words, Gideon saying, I need to know this is God speaking to me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And so Gideon was thinking, now I'm going to die. Because my eyes, my sinful eyes have seen holy God and certainly I shall die. Then the Lord said to him, Peace with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. That's one of the greatest verses in the Old Testament. You ought to underline verse 23. And let me pause to say here, that may be a prophetic word for someone here tonight. I love that verse. Peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. I can remember years ago we had a member of our church and he was going to have major heart surgery. And he sent me a text and he said, John, I'm having this major surgery. I believe it was the next day. And he said, could you please call me and pray with me before I have the surgery, which gladly I did. But before I called him, God brought this verse to my mind. And when I got him on the phone, I was listening to him describe about the surgery. And I said to him, I called his name, and I said, I want to give you a verse from the Bible that I think God's put on my heart for you. And I wish you would write it down, pray it over, and see if indeed this is a word for God from you. And he said, well, what is it? I said, it's Judges 6.23. The Lord said to him... Peace be with you. Do not fear. 
you shall not die. And so tonight, if you've come to this service and you're, you've, you've lost your peace and you're very fearful and you're very afraid and you may even be wondering if you're going to live or die, I'm not necessarily saying this is the Word of God to you. You have to run it past the Holy Spirit who's living in your heart. But if I were you, I would take this Word from at least me tonight and I would say, God, is that a word for me from your Word tonight? Peace be with you. Do not fear you shall not die. You say, well, that didn't do anything to me. Well, then that word wasn't for you tonight. But if it did something to you, that may have been the word of God for you. And I would claim that verse and I would stand on that verse. And I would declare that by the grace of God, I'll live and not die. Now look in verse 24. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, in our Hebrew Bibles, it would say, Jehovah Shalom, literally, the Lord is peace. And so, at the beginning of this passage, Gideon has no peace. God appears to him and assures him that he's going to be okay. He says, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And his heart is filled with peace. He builds an altar and he names it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Now, let me just say a couple of things about peace to begin with tonight. You've probably thought about this, but let me just say it anyway. There are two types of peace in the Bible. First of all, there's what is known as peace with God. We read about that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Scripture says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Let's say that together. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's talking about salvation. Now, peace with God means that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, the war with heaven is over. It's talking about our status as children of God, that our sins have been forgiven, Christ has come to live in our hearts, our names have been written in the Lamb's book of life, and we have peace with God. It is a status. Now, peace with God is something that we have whether we feel it or not. Sometimes we feel peace with God. I can say it this way. Sometimes we feel saved. Sometimes we might not even feel saved. Sometimes a person says, I'm not sure I'm saved. Well, why not? Well, I just don't feel saved. I don't feel God in my life. I don't feel peace in my heart. That doesn't necessarily mean they're not saved. It might mean that, but it might not. And so you talk to that person and you say, let me ask you this. Have you asked Christ to save you? Yes. Have you trusted Christ to save you? Yes, I have. Do you trust Christ to save you? Yes, I do. Well, I can say to them on the authority of God's Word, if you're trusting Christ to save you, you have peace with God whether you feel it or not. And so the assurance of our salvation has nothing to do with our feelings. It is an objective peace based on the status that we have through our faith in Jesus. We are at peace with God. It would be like two nations in a war. And out there somewhere, the leaders come together and they sign a peace treaty. And now we say, these two nations are at peace with each other. Well, they may not feel at peace with each other. May not feel any different than they did before they got at peace with each other. But the treaty has been signed and so they're at peace. Well, that's how it is with us. Before we were saved, we were not at peace with God. We were at war with God. We were at enmity with God. Our sins separated us from God. But when Christ died on that cross and rose from that grave and we placed our faith in Him, in that moment, the war with heaven was over and we entered into a relationship with God that is described by Paul as a status, a state, a condition of having Peace with God. It has nothing to do with feelings. It is objective whether we feel it or not. But there's another peace in the Bible. It's not peace with God. It's what is called the peace of God. 
And we read about it in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't turn there tonight, but just think about the Scripture. Those are the two most underlined verses in all the Bible. Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, verse 7, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the peace of God is different from peace with God. The peace with God is a status. The peace of God is a feeling. It's an emotion. It's something we can feel. It is subjective. It comes and it goes. But the peace of God is something that God gives us in our hearts. And we, it's experiential. And sometimes I have it and sometimes I don't. And it'd be the same with you. I've written some words down tonight. Synonyms for the peace of God. Calmness. Serenity. Wholeness. Happiness. It's all what the Old Testament describes in that word shalom. You go to Israel today and you bump into a Jewish person on the street and what that person is going to say to you is shalom. And that means I wish you happiness, I wish you health, I wish you peace, I wish you joy, I wish you wholeness, I wish you calmness, relaxation, I wish you everything good in your life. And so the peace of God is like that. And it says to me that much of the spiritual battle that we're engaged in in life with the enemy, it's a battle for our peace. Not peace with God. That's a status. Satan can't take that away from you. But the peace of God is something that is constantly under attack because Satan doesn't want God's people to have it. He wants us to live in anxiety, uptightness, restlessness, angst, tension, stress, feeling overwhelmed, all these things that we all experience from time to time. And yet God is in the background and God is saying it's possible. For you to have experientially, in your feelings, in your emotions, in your mind, in your heart, in your daily life, it is possible for you to have the same peace in your heart that I have in my heart. It is possible, Jesus says, for you to have the same calmness in your mind that I have in my mind. Because I have given you my peace. And it is subjective. It is experiential. And it is a feeling. Sometimes we have it and sometimes we don't. Now, that said, I want to make three statements tonight about experiencing this peace. I'm talking now not about peace with God. I'm talking about the peace of God, this experiential feeling that God wants us to have in our lives. The first thing I would say, and I've already said it, but I'll say it again, this peace comes from Jesus. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. It doesn't come from your spouse. It doesn't come from your parents, your children, your job, your health, your doctor, how much money you have, your job, anything like that. This peace comes from Jesus. Now, many people spend an entire lifetime seeking after this peace. Running from relationship, 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 job, 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 everything. They keep thinking, if this thing in my life could just be that. Instead of having this, if I had that, then I would have peace. That's not true. Because the peace I'm describing tonight has nothing to do with those circumstances. It comes from Jesus Christ. Second statement. Not only does this peace come from Jesus, but this peace is found in Jesus. And so when we think about the peace of God, don't just think that Jesus is in heaven dispensing peace like we would give somebody a gift. That may be part of it, but what we need to understand is what he's dispensing to us is, is not a thing. It is himself. Let me give you a scripture verse to back that up. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, He himself 
is our peace. Say that with me. He himself is our peace. And so in John 14, Jesus said, I'm giving you peace. In Ephesians 2, Paul said, yes, but understand this. It's Christ himself who is our peace. Well, which is it? Is he giving it to us or is it himself? Yes, it's both. What did Jesus give us? What is the greatest gift? He gave us himself. Greater love has no man than this, than one would lay down his life for his friends. And so when Jesus says, I'm giving you my peace, don't think of that peace as being an extension of Jesus or something separate from Jesus. Think of the peace as being Jesus himself. So Jesus was saying, here's, here's, how, here's why you can have this peace. Here's why you can have the same calmness in your mind and in your spirit and, 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 and the same sense of serenity that I have because I'm giving you myself. In other words, Jesus was saying, I am coming to live on the inside of you. And so I think many times in the Christian life we have the idea, well, in order for me to live the Christian life better, what I've got to do is try harder and work harder and pray more and read the Bible more and go to church more and share my faith more and give more and do all these things more. Well, all those things are important and all those things have a place. But friend, the Christian life is not us trying to do more for God. The Christian life is Jesus Christ living his life in us and through us. And so when the scripture says he himself is our peace, it's giving us the secret there to how we can have this peace. We let Christ live his life through us. Our hands are his hands. Our feet are his feet. Our thoughts become his thoughts. And so the peace is found in Jesus. The peace, if you don't get anything else tonight, get this. The peace comes from the person of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. The third statement I would make is this. Peace, this peace of God, this subjective, experiential, emotional thing I'm talking about tonight. It can be constant if we stay in an attitude of faith. Now, I've already said that sometimes we have this peace and sometimes it goes away. And that's my experience too. Sometimes I have it and sometimes I lose it. And sometimes I'm in the middle. But what I'm saying here is it can be constant if we stay in an attitude of faith. Now, in Judges chapter 6, I want you to see something very interesting. Because in verse 24, Gideon built this altar to God and he called it Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. But I want us to read the next three verses. And what we're going to discover is this man who went from no peace to perfect peace, so much so that he built an altar and named it God is peace. In the next three verses, Gideon loses his peace. His peace is completely gone. Look at it in verse 25. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to Gideon, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. Now watch verse 27. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. At the first of the story, Gideon has no peace. God reveals himself to us and says to Gideon and says, Peace be with you. Do not fear you shall not die. Filled with peace. Built an altar and named it the Lord is peace. At the end of the story, he loses his peace. Because he got his eyes off God. He got his eyes on circumstances. He thought, what are these Midianites going to do to me? So think about this last statement I've made here tonight. Peace. That subjective experiential feeling of calmness, serenity, relaxation, contentment. Everything's okay. 
not worried about anything, not stressed out, not uptight, not overwhelmed. That feeling can be constant if we stay in an attitude of faith. Now, I want to show you a verse to back that up with. But if I was sitting out there where you're sitting tonight, and some, my dad and somebody else up here preaching this sermon, and they said to me, this experiential feeling can be constant if we stay in an attitude of faith, I would question that. And I would say, well, if it can be constant, how come, it's, how come I don't constantly have it? How come some days I have it more than others and other days I don't have it at all? And so I would be running that through my mind and I would be saying, this man is up there saying that this experiential feeling of peace, I mean, this is life-changing. People are going to psychiatrists, psychologists all across America trying to find what we're dealing with tonight, peace. And yet Jesus says, not that that there's anything wrong with going to one of those doctors, not at all. But what Jesus is saying is ultimately what you're looking for is not found there. What you're looking for is found in me, and it can be constant, and it can be unchanging, and it can be permanent if you will remain in an attitude of faith. And yet, if I were sitting where you're sitting tonight, I would be thinking, you've got to give me a verse to back that up. So let me give you a verse. Go to Isaiah. I want you to see this verse tonight. Isaiah chapter 26. I think about all my favorite verses in the Bible, and if I were making a list of the top five, this verse would be high on that list. It might be the second favorite verse. In fact, it might even be number one. It, my favorite verses change from time to time. But Isaiah 26.3 has got to be on your list of all time. This is a classic verse. In fact, I've often heard it said that for a Christian, 1 John 1.9 may be the most important verse. If we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I'm going to tell you, 1 John 1.9 is very important for our daily life. Sometime I'll hear somebody say, and I've probably said it, Romans 8.28 God causes all things to work together for good. That's the most important verse for the, in a Christian. Well, it may be. Maybe it's John, 1 John 1, 9. Maybe it's Romans 8, 28. But I'm going to tell you something. It may well be that Isaiah 26, 3 is the most important verse for a Christian on a daily basis because in this verse, God is telling us how we can have peace, experiential, the feeling of peace, and how we can keep it constantly and not have to lose it. Now look at what it says. So Isaiah is talking, he's talking to God, and he says, you, God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then in verse 4, just the first of it, says, trust in the Lord forever. But back in verse 3, there's a conditional promise here that we find. And, and the promise is, and what I want you to see tonight, this is life-changing. God has promised us that He will keep us in perfect peace. I sometimes think, and this has been how I've lived my life sometimes. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But I have sometimes thought that it is my responsibility to keep myself at peace. And sometimes I think that now. If I lose my peace, get a little bit anxious, uptight, overwhelmed about something, stressed out, sometimes I just would naturally try to calm myself down. But what God's been showing me over the last year or two, maybe the last three years, is it is not my responsibility to keep myself at peace. Just like I can't give myself peace, that comes from Jesus. I can't keep myself peaceful. 
In fact, this verse says, I don't even have to try. Notice what Isaiah said. You, God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Let me just say it this way. It is God's responsibility to keep you at peace. It is your responsibility to trust God. It is your responsibility to keep your mind and your thoughts on God. And God has made a promise to you and to me that if we will keep our mind on Him, and if we will trust Him with all of our heart, with whatever we're going through, that He will keep us at perfect peace. And I tell you this, there have been many a day, that I, not every day, but there have been plenty of days in my life where I have started the day saying, God, before I even leave my house, I'm claiming this promise. Now, you have made me a promise that you will keep me in perfect peace if my mind is stayed on you and if I trust you. And so, Lord, I declare before I walk out the door of my house today, my mind is on you and I'm trusting in you. God, that's all I can do. I can't make peace come. I can't make peace stay. I can't cause myself to be calm and relaxed. None of that. That all comes from you. And let me tell you this. Every single day that I have started my day in that way saying, God, I am claiming this promise, and God, I'm trusting you, and God, my mind is on you, and God, my focus is on you, and I'm trusting you to keep me at peace. Every single day I've done that, God's kept his end of the deal. God's kept me at peace, and God will do that for you. You see, this is a conditional promise that God will keep you in peace if your mind is stayed on him and if you'll trust him. And so sometime during the day, I'll say to God, I'll say, God, I'm trusting you with this right now. This has come up in my life. This is what I'm facing right now. God, I'm trusting you. And every single time I say to God, God, I'm trusting you, he keeps his end of the deal. And he fills my heart and he fills my mind with peace. Now, in our Bibles tonight, our English Bibles, we read the phrase, perfect peace. And that's one of the reasons I, I love this verse, because it's so descriptive in how it is describing this peace of God, this peace that God gives us. It's perfect peace. If we had our Hebrew Bibles tonight, and if we could read Hebrew, by the way, I would need an interlinear to tell me what the words mean. It's been a long time since I took any Hebrew classes. But in, nonetheless, in the Hebrew Bible, it says, you will keep him. Now watch this. You listen, say Amen. You will keep him in shalom, shalom. Not just shalom, not just peace. But Isaiah said, God, you will keep him in shalom, shalom. Double peace. The English translator said, perfect peace. The person whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so the first question tonight is this. Do you have that peace? At this moment, the clock on the wall says it's 7.13 on Sunday night. At 7.13 tonight, experientially, in your emotions, in your thoughts, and in your mind, are you experiencing the peace of God, calmness, serenity, contentment, relaxation, everything's okay? Are you experiencing that right now? And if not, you say, John, I'm glad I came to church tonight because I'm not experiencing that, not like I want to. Well, the answer to that is right here in this verse. You and I can experience double shalom, perfect peace, continually if we'll keep our end of the deal. And our end of the deal is to keep our minds on God. And our end of the deal is to trust in Him with all of our hearts. In Philippians chapter 4, when Paul was saying, be anxious for nothing, and 
And everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying, turn your problems into a prayer. Turn your stress into a prayer. Turn your concerns into a prayer. Turn your worries into a prayer. Turn your racing thoughts into a prayer. And if you'll turn it into a prayer, and not only put it in God's hands, but trust God with whatever concerns you. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it does pass understanding. And that's why in the Old Testament, Isaiah had to use that word shalom twice. He said, this is not normal peace. This is not even the peace that sometimes we have. This is shalom, shalom, double peace, perfect peace. And it's God's gift to us if we will trust him. Amen. And so tonight, with our head bowed and eyes closed, do you have that peace? I find it helpful in those seasons of my life when I lose that peace to just be very honest with God. And say, God, I've lost it like Gideon. God, I had it. I built an altar and celebrated the peace you had given me. And then, God, something happened. I lost my peace. And so many a times I have to say that to God. God, I've lost it, my peace a little bit. I've taken my eyes off you. Put them on myself, my circumstances, let myself get overwhelmed. And so, God, forgive me for doing that. And tonight, I reorient my thinking and I redirect my faith upward, off of me, upward, off of people, upward, off of circumstances, upward, God. I trust you with all my heart. Tonight, that thing that concerns you, you know what it is. Turn it into a prayer. Put it in God's hands. Ask God to deal with it. Ask God to take care of it. And as you give it to God tonight, say this to Him. Say, God, I trust you with this matter in my life. And God, I'm going to keep on trusting you. And God, I thank you that you have promised as I will keep on trusting you, you are going to keep me in perfect peace. You're not going to let it go away as long as I'll keep trusting you. And God, if I get my focus wrong and stop trusting you, I'm going to reorient my mind and redirect my faith, and I'm going to trust you all over again. And the moment I start trusting you, you're going to give me that peace, and you're going to keep me in perfect peace as long as I'll keep trusting you. What a life-changing message. What a liberating truth that if we'll trust him, he'll give us peace, and he'll keep us peaceful. All we have to do is trust him. Some here tonight, you say, John, not only do I not have that, I'm not even sure that I have peace with God. I don't think I've ever, you might say, put my faith in Jesus Christ. And so for me, God and I are not at peace. Well, friend, you need to get saved. We saw people saved this morning, and we need to see somebody get saved tonight. If you're not sure that you're saved, pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to be at peace with you, and yet my sins have separated me from you. Forgive my sins. Cleanse my heart. Come into my life. Save me. Make me a Christian. Change my life. And Lord, begin now to make me the person that you want me to be. And Father, during this next song, help me not to be ashamed of you, but help me to confess you openly, unashamedly, publicly, before others here tonight in this service. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen and Amen.